you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. And so, if you don't know where that is, go to Nahum and go past it by one, and you'll get to Habakkuk there. And uh, so, you know, Habakkuk, not a lot is known about who Habakkuk uh, is, per se. There was a rabbinic tradition, though, that said that, uh, that he was the son of the Shunammite woman, that was mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 4, whom Elisha restored to life. Uh, and so, you know, this word Habakkuk means, you know, to embrace. And, uh, and so that is the, the rabbinic tradition uh, on that. But we know that this was written Habakkuk, the time that Habakkuk wrote this uh, oracle that he was given, this burden that he was given. There is a, a reference back to the uh, to the Chaldeans uh, that helps us to know that this now happened after the battle of Karshemesh, and Karshemesh was the Assyrian Empire had now been uh, attacked by the Medo-Persian Empire and and the Babylonians in, in a confederacy, and after the fall of Nineveh. You will remember that, that the last of the Assyrians went up to Haran. And there in Haran, there was the Battle of Haran. That happened a few years after Nineveh fell. They held Haran for a while, and then Haran finally falls. Well, as Haran falls, this was when Egypt comes to the aid of the Assyrians. The Assyrians and the Egyptians were in an alliance. And so the Egyptians come up to help the Assyrians, and they had headed up to Haran. And by the time that the Egyptians get there, uh, Haran has now fallen. And Karshemesh was a, 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 an Assyrian city that was in cahoots in sympathy with the Egypt. Uh, and so now the Babylonians face off against the Egyptians uh, uh, up there at Karshemesh. And now they vied for the, the world power. And it was there at Karshemesh that the Egyptians lost that battle. And they retreated and pretty much fall off of the scene. And that now creates the vacuum. Assyria defeated Egypt defeated, and this is now what allows the Babylonians to absolutely secure their power and become that dominant world power. So we see that when, uh, when Habakkuk here is writing, it is right at the time, either right before the Battle of Karshemesh or right after the Battle of uh, Karshemesh, that, that these events now, that, that this vision is given to them. Now, you remember that the Assyrians had been the one that God used as an instrument of judgment to the ten northern tribes. And, and now what is going to happen is that the southern kingdom is now going to be reprimanded by God for uh, many of the same sins that the northern ten tribes uh, had been, for the uh, idolatry and for the, the violence and for the greed and for the disregard of, uh, of God's law. And, and so their relationship with God had turned external only. It was uh, only just a, a mere pretense. Their hearts 
were far from God. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And, and so God said that he was going to judge them. And, and so we see here that, you know, that, that Habakkuk is, he's confused. He sees the, the, the nation of Israel and he sees the way in which they're not walking with God whatsoever. He's seeing the way that God's people are taking advantage of one another and, and how they are not worshiping God. And, and he wonders, God, why do you let these things go on? If you're all-powerful and you see everything and you know everything, where are you? Why, why aren't you standing up? Why aren't you acting? And, and we see that this is a question that many times I think that believers, we can face that same question in our heart. When we're going through a difficulty, when we're experiencing an injustice, when, when we see the wrong that is going on around us, when we see the, the violence that is taking place here in our own city, we wonder, God, well, where are you? Why, why don't you put a limit on this? If you're able to put a limit on it, why aren't you moving? Why, why do you just sit silently by why while these things take place and, and and so this is a real this is as relevant a question as we could find in the in the bible today for every single one of us and what's interesting is that normally with the prophets you have just god speaking god chooses an individual and he speaks and and that is now the message with habakkuk habakkuk is actually asking god questions and then God is actually answering those questions to, uh, to Habakkuk. And so we really see this dialogue back and forth between Habakkuk, the prophet, and, and the creator God of the universe. And so let's watch as Habakkuk unfolds his heart. And then we see God ministering to, to not only Habakkuk, but to us today. If you have ever felt frustrated with, with the events, if you've ever wanted God to move and feel like God is not moving, you can't understand the why. God, why? And I think that, you know, God's not afraid of the why questions. I want you to know that you're not offending God when, when you bring the cry of your heart, the, the why, to God. Because God's ways are above our ways, amen? And God promises this. He says that all things work together for good. For those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So if you're the called, meaning if you are saved, then God is working every single thing together for good in your life. Now, when we look at the tapestry of our life and we see the black lines and the gray lines and all of that, when, when we're going through that, we can't quite understand that necessarily, you know, while we're in the middle of it. But when God shows you the portrait now, when he reveals what he's doing and why he did what he did and why he let you go through what he let you go through, your answer will be praise God to God be the glory, great things uh, that he has done. In the midst of it, sometimes it's hard to remember that, that perspective. And so here we will see a prophet of God that, that brings the cry of his heart to his maker, and we will see God answer. Verse 1, chapter 1, the book of Habakkuk. 
the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And so that word for saw was when it was used with prophets, oftentimes meant to see in a vision. And, and his cry, verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. And even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Habakkuk's questions concern the social injustices that were going on in his, in his own land. God's people were not without their own social injustices. I want you to know something. When you hear social injustice, I want you to know there has never been social justice. In the history of mankind, we are sinners we are saved by grace, but sinners sin. It's what we do. Oppression has been with mankind as soon as there was the ability to oppress mankind. And so here we see, though, with God's people and God's law, we see that this now, they were forbidden by the law to take advantage of one another. They weren't allowed to charge ridiculous rates. And, and if you hit an impoverished time and you had to sell yourself out as a slave for labor, there would be a jubilee where you would now uh, be released. And so you couldn't have this permanent you know, structure in place. And, and so there was all of the provisions to where you were to use honest scales and you were not to take advantage. You were to be the voice for the voiceless and you were to help the oppressed. And this is God's law, and this was reflective of the righteousness that was revealed in that Mosaic law. But the people fell. The people were not following the law. And so now you had all kinds of injustices that were going on in the society around them. And what was frustrating the prophet is this is God's people. So God, why are you allowing your children to behave so badly. Have you ever wondered that in a restaurant? <laughs> You're like, hey, I saw, I saw that there was a restaurant that when they got their bill, they were charged $90 extra, it said, for your disruptive behavior of your children <laughs> in the restaurant. There was this service charge that was tacked on there. And so uh, that was funny. I don't know if it's legal, uh, but, you know, I mean, but, uh, but, you know, bad behavior. And you're like, where, why are you allowing this bad behavior to be taking place? And, and verse 3, and why do you show me iniquity? And cause me to see trouble, for plundering and violence are before me. There is strife, and contention arises. And therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and therefore perverse judgments proceeds. And so uh, we see here that, uh, that, uh, that now, you know, the... the the infrastructure of the society was failing. The judges were corrupt. And so when your judges become corrupt, then your culture is in grave danger. Because now there is no opportunity for justice. There is no remedy to evil. There is no consequence for the bad behavior. And the minute that there is no consequence for bad behavior, you are going to see the leaven. You're going to see it continue to increase because a little bit of leaven leavens what? The entire lump. And so leaven spreads unless it is checked. 
And so the evil is checked by a righteous execution of the law. So what good is it if you have a law and it's not being enforced? if it's not being pressed in. They had the law of God, but guess what? It wasn't being enforced, even by their own judges. So what good is the law if it's not going to have a, a, a righteous enforcement? He says that the wicked surround the righteous. And in other words, there's more wicked people in the land than there are righteous people in the land any longer. And you see, this is one of the great problems that we have you know, in our nation today. Democracy is neither good or bad. Democracy is just the rule. It puts the power into the hands of the people. But what happens when you have wicked people? <laughs> then wicked people make wicked laws. And so democracy has no moral code or conduct behind it. Christianity was the moral underpinning of our nation, so that's what made democracy to grow. But what happens when the majority are no longer moral? What happens when you have an immoral majority in a nation, and now suddenly they start voting in wickedness? And to where now you have got more immoral than moral. And so here he says that in the nation during Habakkuk's day, if you can imagine this, in the nation of Israel, in Habakkuk's day there were more unrighteous people than there were. The righteous people were surrounded by the unrighteous. So that tells you now what the percentage was, how corrupt the culture had gotten how far they had slid away from God. And so, verse 5, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe that were told to you. And so, here we see that God answers now, you know, Habakkuk is he's questioning about why are you why are you letting us continue to spiral down there and it, it, don't you hear don't you care and God answers I'm not indifferent. Uh, don't think for a minute that I don't care or that I am insensitive. He says, you know, I am going to to work he says, and I am going to work in a way in which you are not going to, to believe. In other words, discipline was going to come, but it was going to come in a way that, uh, that was going to shock and surprise uh, Habakkuk. He says in, in verse 6, For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. And so here we see the reference now to the Babylonians, not the Assyrians, but now to the Babylonians. And, and we see here that he lets Habakkuk know the, the heart or the spirit of the Babylonians. Now, you remember the Assyrians and, and how they used to use psychological warfare and, and they basically terrorized their enemies in order to force them into capitulation they they were absolutely horrific well the babylonians weren't weren't really much better they were fierce 
they were cruel. They showed absolutely uh, no pity whatsoever. And in verse uh, 7, it says, And they are terrible and dreadful, and their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to, to eat. And so here we see that, uh, that now the description of uh, them. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. We remember that Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldeans and, and he had migrated. Now God had led him over to the land of Canaan. But now we see that, you know, Babylon was uh, there in that between the, the Tigris and the Euphrates uh, Valley, and they would come forth like an eagle with wings, uh, and they would spill across the, uh, the world. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. And then his mind changes and he transgresses and he commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. We see that there was really no hope in stopping the, the Babylonians. They are going to come in like the eastern wind, and they are going to scoff at, at kings. And, and we see that their treatment, the Babylonians' treatments now of the rulers, they would take the, the, their enemies' uh, rulers and they would make spectacles of them. Their brutality especially now with the, the leaders of the nation. You'll remember Zedekiah. Zedekiah, uh, the way that he was treated after Jerusalem fell, you will remember that they took the king and they brought his sons uh, out as children and then they executed his kids in front of dad, the king. And then they put his eyes out and blinded him and then they marched him as a prisoner now to where he lived the rest of his life as a prisoner in Babylon with the last thing that his eyes ever saw was the execution of his kids. Just brutality. Just absolute violence. This, this was the, the heart of the Babylonians. And they were greedy. And they were power hungry. And they wanted to take over the world. He says they would come up to cities and and they would then build a mound against him. He's talking about the siege mound. Now, remember back in that day, the big technology was to defend yourself with the walls around your city. And so big, strong walls, and that would protect the city. Well, the Babylonians would come and look at your big, strong walls, and then they would just build dirt ramps. <laughs> they would just take their time while they put you in a siege and they're just going to build a dirt bridge up to the top of your wall and march their army right over your wall. 
You remember how the Masada, if you've ever been to Israel, or you know the story of the Maccabean revolt and the last of the holdouts and how they went to the fortress of Masada. Masada was King Herod's castle, and it is up on the top of this ridiculous cliff almost, and you just have this, this snake path that leads up to it and to the walls of it, and the Romans came and they laid siege uh, to them and they were going to force the rebels uh, out and so what they did is they built one of the largest siege ramps uh, up into it now when you were building the ramp up what they would do from up top is they would take their bricks and they would take their stones and they would throw them down uh, on top so that you couldn't build your ramp. So what the Romans did is they went and got the relatives of the, uh, those that were up there of the camp and they put them out on front so that they would have to throw it down on their own family members in order and use them as the human shield in front of their engineers as they built the ramp up. And, and so the Romans eventually built that in siege up and, and destroyed Masada. And so we see that, that this now, when in Masada, you know, is where the, the, to this day they will bring the soldiers up there and they will swear them in on top of uh, Masada uh, where the freedom fighters uh, lost their lives there and in fact they took their own life and uh, and there and what they proclaim is never again you know never again are they going to be destroyed in their own land now that they are back in their land and so here but we see the the heart of the of the Babylonians, they they scoff at kings and and they puff themselves uh, up. And so, God says to have a Habakkuk says, you know, God, how come you're letting you know your people be so disobedient to you? And God says, you know what, I'm I'm giving them time, but I am going to use the Babylonians to come and discipline, you know, my people. <laughs> and Habakkuk's like, what? You know, I mean, the Babylonians, you know, how could you, why would you use, you know, people like this uh, here? And, and so, you know, as, as God tells them that judgment, you know, was on its way, we see that, you know, uh, the, the prophet is absolutely astonished. Just as, you know, back in, you know, the earlier verse when God says, I will tell you what I'm going to do, but it, you're going to be astonished by it. So he tells them what he's going to do. He's going to use the Babylonians, you know, to be his instrument of judgment against, you know, his own children to discipline them. And Habakkuk is just, he can't believe you know, that that's what God is going to do. Verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. And so, you know, Habakkuk reminds himself that the Lord has appointed the Babylonians to execute judgment or discipline on them. But not total destruction of uh, Judah and not of God's people. And verse 13, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue 
when the wicked devours a, poor, a person more righteous than, uh, than he. And, and so the question that was burning in Habakkuk's you know, in the heart is, is why would a holy God utilize such a wicked people to administer, you know, judgment or discipline, you know, on Judah. Uh, and so here we see that, you know, Judah had sinned, but Judah's sin was dwarfed by the atrocities of the, of the Babylonians. And, and, and so, God, why would you use somebody guilty of all of this to, to bring discipline on uh, on someone who is deserving discipline only, you know, of this. Why, why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? In other words, when the Babylonians come in, the, the, your ability to stand against their power and against their might, well, you, you became like fish, you know, in the sea, he says in verse 15. They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gathered them in their dragnet, and therefore they rejoice and are glad. If you've ever, you know, seen the shows with you know, nature's big catches, and you see the fishermen that are out there and hauling in the nets, and they pull up their big nets, and all of the fish are just in these, you know, giant commercial nets, and, and that's the picture that, you know, that Habakkuk has of his people and how the Babylonians are going to come with their net and just, you know, what would it look like in these giant nets? And you had, you know, a thousand people, you know, just in this net. And, and, and so the, the, the imagery here that, uh, that he has, and then as they pull up their net, just like fishermen are so happy when they pull up their catch of fish, they're happy when they pull up their catch of people as they come in and just... And take over nation after nation, city after city, town after town. They just go through and, and wipe it out. And therefore they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. And because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful, the Babylonians rejoiced and they were glad. They, they sacrificed to their nets. They, they worship and serve the creature more than the creator. And shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? In other words, they, you know, they swoop in, they fill their net, they empty it, swoop in, fill their net. Empty it, swoop in, fill their net. Are, are they just going to be allowed to continue to just fill their nets without consequences to slay nations without pity? In chapter 2, he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And so, you know, this interval elapses between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And, you know, and so uh, Habakkuk is you know, asked God these questions about using the Babylonians as the instrument of, of judgment. And, and he says that I will stand my watch. I will wait on the Lord and waiting for God to move, waiting for God to respond. Does that describe maybe where you are today? 
Are there questions that you have asked in God? Are there situations and circumstances that you have now just had to put into the hands of the Lord and now you are waiting on the Lord to answer, waiting on the Lord to move? That was the place that Habakkuk now found himself as God had revealed and then Habakkuk had asked again and now he's He's in this place and he, and he is saying, and I, I will faithfully wait on the Lord. I will faithfully wait for God to answer me. And I am not going to move without the direction from the Lord. In verse 2, and then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. And it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. And so God assures him that, that he sees the proud. He knows their soul. And he knows that, that the wicked, that their soul is not upright within him. God sees every single heart. Listen, God sees your heart tonight. And if your heart is upright, listen, God sees the uprightness of your heart. And guess what? If your heart is not upright, God sees that your heart is not upright either. You can hide from everyone. You can even hide from yourself, but you cannot hide from God. And so when Habakkuk says, don't you see? God says, I do see. God sees every single thing that's happening. God sees what's happening in Israel today. God sees what's happening throughout the world, throughout the nations, and, and all of it is falling right exactly into place as God has declared. He tells them, wait for it, it's coming. What I have said will come to pass. I want you to know what God has said about the nation of Israel will come to pass. It may tarry, but it will come to pass. God says what he means, and God means what he says, and we're wise when we obey and know that God says what he means and means uh, uh, what he says. He says the just, though, he says they're going to live uh, by faith, by faithfulness, by a, a, a humble, steadfast reliance on God's word. That is how the just are going to live. We're going to live by standing on the truth of God's word and knowing that God's word has never failed. And you know what? God's word will never fail. And so he gave us the word of God because he who stands outside of time will let us know that he is who he says he is. As you see, every single thing that he said will come to pass, come to pass, not roughly, but exactly as he has declared that it will come to pass. And you will know, he says in Isaiah, you will know that I am the true and the living God by these things coming to pass. And so the just live by that. We stand upon the word of God. Woe to the wicked, though, verse 5. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man and he does not stay at home. Because he enlarges his desire as hell, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. 
He is like death. He cannot be satisfied. It is interesting to me, the iconic Mick Jagger, Rolling Stones in the song. You know, I can't get no satisfaction, but I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no. And, and, and you hear the cry. Here, here is Mick Jagger. He has money, fame, popularity. He's got every single thing that you could possibly imagine except what doesn't he have? Satisfaction. It doesn't satisfy. Nothing satisfies. You see, when your flesh is in charge, there's nothing that satisfies your flesh. It will be satisfied for a minute, then it wants a little bit more, and then it wants a little bit more, and it wants a little bit more. No matter how much you have, it still wants a little bit more. And so, when you hear the Babylonians as they are, you know, wanting to conquer, they want, you know, more, they want more, they want more. And yet, they're not satisfied with what they have. I want you to know something. If you are not satisfied with what you have today, you will never be satisfied with more. Your problem is not what you have, it's the condition of the heart. Contentment doesn't come from with what you possess. And if you're waiting to be content, you will never be content. Contentment is found in wanting what you have, not having what you want. And what you have in Christ Jesus and what you have in the richness of God is more than you will ever need to be content. And if you haven't found that yet, and you're chasing your fulfillment from the world, you will never find the fulfillment that you're looking for in the world. Jesus said it another way. He said, if you drink from this well, you will what? You will thirst again. You will thirst again. If you drink, but I have water, that if you drink from it, it will become a spring welling up in your heart. So rivers of water will pour forth uh, out. So the Babylonians, they don't know God. They are living for the flesh. The flesh is controlling them. And so the cry of them is that there is no mm, satisfaction. Verse 6, will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. And because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. So God assures Habakkuk here that he knows how to deal with nations like Babylon. And he promises that just as Babylon plundered many nations, so one day they themselves are going to be plundered. Jesus said that if you live by the sword, you will what? You will die by the sword. And so, you know, he, here we see that Habakkuk is, you know, concerned. And God says, you don't need to be concerned. What they did to others will be done to them. The Bible says that what you sow, you are going to, you're going to reap. And the Babylonians sold violence and conquest. And so what are they going to reap upon themselves? So they conquered the world. They themselves will be completely conquered. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high that he may be delivered from the power of disaster you give shameful counsel to your house cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul 
for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so the Lord is displeased with their greediness and he pronounces a woe against their violence. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk that you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. And so here we see that, you know, once again, the, the drunkenness and the getting others drunk and then taking advantage of them in their drunken state and condition manipulation, evilness in the heart. Here God says that he sees it. What profit is the image that its maker should carve it, the molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of its mold should trust in it to make mute idols. He says, you carve an idol of wood. You made this and then you bow down and worship it. It was the work of your own hands. Wow ridiculous god says in isaiah he says come let us reason together <laughs> you know it's like does that make sense does this does this make sense you treat it like it's a living thing woe to him who says to wood awake to silent stone arise it shall teach behold it is overlaid with gold and silver yet in it there is no breath at all what are you worshiping? There's no breath in it. By contrast, verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The true and the living God residing with his people there in Jerusalem. And so God reminds Habakkuk uh, of his ultimate triumph uh, over the wicked. May the whole earth keep silent before his holiness. And chapter 3 begins a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shigenoth. And we really don't know anything about uh, Shigenoth, and, but Habakkuk, verse 2, O oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O oh Lord, Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He knows that judgment is coming. He, he wanted his people corrected. And God says, I am going to correct them. And I'm going to use the Babylonians to correct them. And, and now he knows that correction is coming. Judgment coming. So what does he cry for? Mercy. <laughs> you know, he, he, he wants the nation turned, but... He wants God to be gentle and merciful at the, at the same time. 
God came from Taman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran in Selah. Just as God came to his people at Sinai to establish his covenant, so uh, he would also liberate his people and, and affirm his covenant with them. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand. And there his power was hidden before him when pestilence and fever followed at his feet. And, and so Habakkuk now begins to pray here for revival. He, he begins to pray for the God who brings uh, uh, revival. He stood and measured the earth. He's looking at the, at the power and the glory and the wonder of God. Can we just tonight stop and take a minute and just get our eyes up to the glory and the power and the wonder of our God. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. And so here we see that, you know, the, the picture is that God has stood up now and he is going to come and to bring judgment. And he stops and then he just shakes the earth. His very presence now just kind of causes the, the earth to shake. And as the earth shook, Habakkuk asks, O oh Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. And so he asked, were you mad? Were you angry with nature? <laughs> And the implied answer is no, it's not nature that, that God was not happy with. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear. And so, along with the rest of creation, the sun and the moon, which give light to the earth, they seem to just stop and stand still. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed and you struck the head of the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck and then it says selah selah means just stop and pause and just consider it in the psalms you will see selah uh, oftentimes and you don't normally read out loud the selah selah is just an instruction to just kind of sit on that let that let that permeate you. You thrust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. 
Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. And, and so here we see that you know, Habakkuk has in mind the incredible deliverance by God from the Egyptians when God walked the children of Israel through the waters heaped up on both sides and then destroyed the Egyptian army. And, and just the impression, the lasting impression that meant. One day, we're going to see the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. We're going to see the nations gather together to attack Israel. And they are going to come in mass, and it is going to look like it is going to be the exact end of the nation of Israel, and God is going to simply stand up and defeat them with just a blast of his nostrils. And, and the impact of, of God's deliverance of the nation of, uh, of Israel will be no less glorious than, uh, than when it was through the Red Sea, and he destroyed the greatest military army might and all of its weaponry, and just the simple dropping of the Red Sea right upon them. God is not to be trifled with, and the nation of Israel is not to be trifled with because they are the people of the true and the living God. And he has said, I will bless those that bless me, and I will come against and fight those that stand against the, the nation of Israel. And so you walk through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. And when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. And when he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. And so here again, the prophet remembers that the, that the Babylonians are coming and that the God, sovereign power and majesty is the one that is directing this judgment against Judah. And he closes with this hymn. It says, And though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, we're, we're seeing that the picture is the nation of Israel after the Babylonians have, have come and judgment has come upon them. And so... You know, Habakkuk now has the, you know, has the view that on the other side of the discipline of the nation of, uh, of Israel, though the fig tree has no blossoms and the vines have just been stripped, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. And so in the midst of, of almost complete loss, Habakkuk can still rejoice in the Lord. It is said of a Christian that, that we are those who can lose every single thing that we have and still have everything <laughs> because of what we have uh, in Christ and in our God. And so he says it can all be gone and yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. The Lord God is my strength. Is the Lord God your strength? Are you able to declare that, that he is my strength? When I am weak 
He is strong. He is mighty on my behalf. And he carries me and encourages me. And, and he is the absolute strength uh, of my life. And so the Lord, God, is my strength. And he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills. And so the instruction to the chief musician with stringed instruments. And, and so we see that, that he has rightly declared that his strength is not in fig trees and vines and fields and flocks, but, but it is only in the Lord God. May, may our strength not be in our possessions or our careers or our homes or in any of the blessings that we enjoy but may it be only in the, the Lord and God. And so, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your reminder that you are in control, even when it doesn't look like you are in control. And you know exactly what you are doing. And you know the future. And you have revealed certain glimpses to us, but... You know it intimately. And you have declared to us, trust you. Just trust you. That you love us and you have our best interests at heart. And we will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That those who have been saved by grace, we will live by faith in God's word. May it be so for each and every one of us. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen and Amen.